Hello, people. Welcome to another episode of The Rock Show. This is episode 56, and this is the group ACDC. Yeah. From Australia. From Australia. A group. The greatest bands ever. Yeah. A group that survived. Death. Two death and two, um, two very good, um, you know, not too many bands can get two different um, front men and do as good yeah. as they did to the point that right now the front man is Axel Rose. Well, and, not uh, long, they, Brian Johnson's Brian coming Johnson's back. Brian Johnson's coming yeah. back, but he had that weird thing he lost his hearing for a little bit, something yeah. like that. Yeah. What did they do to hear? Do you know what they did to fix it? What, what I heard is that he went for a second opinion. And his hearing is not as bad as they thought. Okay. They were telling him, listen, if you do one more show, you're done, you're deaf. Okay. And uh, he says that his hearing loss was not based on music. No. It was from his race car driving. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I don't know. But it's a long story, a 50-year story of ACDC. Oh, my God. Not only that, they started off very different from what, very we, different very from different what we know now. now. Yeah. But they, had, they actually had a different front man that he had even before, like right? even before Bon Scott. Now, the story of ACDC is really about three brothers and a very bad winter. Yeah, okay. In Australia, in, no, remember, in England, uh, in, uh, in Scotland. Scott, oh yeah, they work in Scotland. Yeah, they moved to. You had three brothers: George yeah. Young, Malcolm Young, and Angus Young. Yeah, and they were from the Glasgow area of Scotland. Now, yeah. in 1963, the winter was considered the big freeze. Yeah. And it was the worst winter that was recorded in, in, in recent times. They had gotten something like eight feet of snow. Imagine that, eight feet of fucking snow. snow. Okay. Now, at the time, there was a commercial that was being run on television that talked about assisted travel for you know, certain families to, to resettle in Australia. Yeah. So the young family decided to move and uproot and go to Australia. Australia? Yeah. Now they would settle in the Burwood area, which is a suburb of Sydney. Yep. George Young, who was the oldest brother, met a fellow migrant. Uh, he was a Dutchman named Harry Vanda. Yep. Now their interest in music would get George into playing guitar. Yeah. And eventually Harry would play lead guitar and they would start the Easy Beats. Yep. Now, the Easy Beats was the biggest band in Australia in the 1960s. They carried over into the States. You know the song Friday On My Mind. Uh, that was the Easy Beats. That was George Young, Angus, and Malcolm's older brother. Yep. The Easy Beats uh, with Vanda and Young songwriting team would have a lot of success going all the way into the 1980s and in fact uh, the song Love is in the Air, Love is in the okay. air. and Yesterday's Hero by the Bay City Rollers they were all written by Harry and Manda um, by a guy named John Paul Young he did Love, in, Love is in the Air actually. Love is in the Air yeah now Malcolm began playing guitar in the late 60s as well and he was in a Newcastle band guess what they were called Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground. But not the New York but Velvet But not the New York's Velvet yeah. Underground. That was, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, but that's funny. that, that It was group, a coincidence. Yeah. And uh, 
Angus began playing guitar shortly after that. Yep. He wanted to be in a band with Malcolm. He was very close with Malcolm. Yeah. Now, they had a sister named Margaret Young. Yeah. And she was looking at her sewing machine one day, and she said, you guys should call yourself ACDC. Yeah. And she was looking at the, the label. The label, yeah, okay. that's, that's incredible and, that and, that's and, where they and got the that name, from. the name represented, like, kind of the raw energy of the band. Yeah, the power. Yeah, you right. Know? I mean, some people mentioned the, the sexual connotation, but oh, yeah. that really wasn't the idea. Didn't, didn't the ACDC back in the day was almost like a gay terminology? Or even, yeah, not so right. much now, but, but, so but yeah. Now, but I thought, yeah, if you were calling somebody ACDC, it meant they were bisexual. Yeah, yeah. So that's what, I think that's what happened when they first came to the U.S. I think that's what people thought they were like, because it was very weird. I remember there's a little Maybe. controversy about Maybe. that whole it's thing. Maybe, possible, it's possible. You know? So, in November of 1973, you had Malcolm on guitar, Angus on guitar, yeah. playing lead. They had a bass player named Larry Von Kreit. Yep. And they had a singer named Dave Evans. Yep. And a drummer named Colin Bergeson. Yep. Now, uh, there was a guy named Gene Pearson, who was a popular Australian and New Zealand singer. And he got them a gig at a club called Checkers, New Year's Eve 1973. Now, in the beginning, ACDC had a very kind of glam image. Yeah, very glam. Uh, yeah, they wore like, costumes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Angus would sometimes wear a Spider-Man outfit. Sometimes yeah. he would wear a gorilla <laughs> outfit. Okay. Playing guitar like that. And at the time, he was 18 years old, yeah. so he was very young. He was also super Angus. <laughs> super Angus, right. Now, tensions were right off the bat between Dave Evans and their, ma and their manager. Yeah, they did uh, not like each other. No, their manager's name was Dennis Laughlin, and he was an ex-singer. Yeah. And sometimes during their shows, they, he would kind of push Evans off the stage and sing. Imagine your manager doing that. Like, like, yeah, I mean, like your manager, you know what I mean? That's fucked up, you know? So... You know, it would kind of it would kind of lead to the replacement of Evans later on. But yeah, but that lineup didn't last very long. They no. were probably together like a year, a year maybe. A year, and, yeah. Know, like fuck that. In, in mid '74, they were getting a reputation as a, as a great live band, and uh, they would open their first one of their first big gigs is they would open for Lou Reed. Oh yeah. On, on the on an early solo album by Lou Reed. Now, yeah. think about that, Malcolm was in a band called The Velvet Underground and he's playing with Lou Reed, Lou Reed who was in the real Velvet, Velvet Underground. Underground. They must have had a conversation though. Yeah. They, they had to. Hey mate, uh, you know mate, I was uh, the band uh, Velvet Underground. I yeah. invented the Velvet I was, Underground. I was in the Velvet Underground too. I don't remember you. I don't remember. <laughs> now, uh, later in 74, uh, veteran Melbourne promoter named Michael Browning he booked them kind of reluctantly at his club called the Hard Rock. Hard Rock. And Is that relation to the Hard Rocks that we have now? No, no. Okay. It was just a club called the Hard Rock. But he didn't like their glam image. No. That's why I say reluctantly, because he didn't like their image. He didn't like Dave Evans as their singer. He felt that uh, he wasn't an appropriate singer for what they were doing. Uh, but he did like... Angus and Malcolm's guitar. Oh, yeah, so they were great guitarists. Yeah, exactly. Now, after the gig, 
Laughlin, uh, he basically, he, he became their manager. Okay, yeah. it was a strange kind of event. Um, he, he, he based what happened was was they got stranded after that gig in Melbourne. Oh yeah, but because Laughlin took off, took off with the money, with the and money. Everything. Okay, and, and Browning actually backed them up. He yeah. said, "All right, I'll pay you. I'll get you out of here. I'm even going to get you another gig at my show. I'll take. I'll become your manager." Yeah. Okay. Not only that, didn't didn't they wind up going to jail and this guy Brown bailed them out pretty much, bailed them out, booked them yeah. another show at the Hard Rock. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, they were probably arrested and vagrants. And your manager just, just take off. Yeah. And what's the first thing that Brown does? He gets rid of the lead singer. Yep. He says, I'll come on, but you got to get rid of Dave Evans. Now, George Young, their older brother, and Harry Vanda agreed to kind of assist in the managing of the band. Yeah. Now, at that point, there would be a lot of changes. They would dump that glam rock image yeah. that they had all together for a more kind of like hard rock, blues-based kind of thing. They would also relocate to Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Now, um, they would they they had recorded one single at that point. Yeah. With Dave Evans. Yeah. The song "Can I Sit Next to You." Yeah. Uh, which would be re-recorded later on. In September of 74, they they had to get a new singer, so they ended up with Bon Scott. Now, Bon Scott was a friend of George Young's, and he was actually chauffeuring the band yeah, for he a was little while. Yeah, fucking chauffeur. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine for, that. Yeah, your chauffeur becomes your lead singer. Okay, this is the only kind of thing that could happen in Australia. Okay, but that's almost like remember Lemmy. He was like the uh, roadie for, for Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. thing. And exactly. He got his own band. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> but this guy wasn't. So but but Bon Scott had a lot in common with the Youngs. Oh, I mean, the, you know, he was also from Scotland. Oh yeah. And he relocated to Australia. He migrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he was older than them by almost yeah. 10 years, okay? He was almost 10 years older than Angus. Well, you know what I think about? You're, you're already, you're kind of a driver, so you already got kind of a weird chemistry with them, with the with them and yeah. you already know what they're about, so I can see, but I wonder if these guys even realized he was a singer before they even hired George, him. George Young heard that he was. That he was, all right. And I, I think Bond wasn't looking for that at that point, no. but... But it was like, hey, you sing, and yeah, I do, and, you know, why don't you try out, you know, yeah. and that's how it happened. But yeah. um, they would record their first studio album called High Voltage yeah. in October of 74. It was recorded in 10 days. Yeah. All right. And it was at Albert Studios in Sydney. It was released in February of 75 on Albert Productions. That was the label they were on. Now, Bon Scott... Uh, the other guys wrote all the music, but he wrote all the lyrics. They had gotten a new bassist at that point named Mark Evans, no yeah, relation. Mike Evans, no relation. Yeah. Okay, and uh, they had gotten drummer Phil Rudd at that point. Yeah, Phil Rudd. You want to hear something interesting about that? The first two albums only were out in Australia. They weren't even... Like, they never care here. They were out in Australia, no, which was we'll, weird. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Like, I, thought, I find that fact. I didn't even realize that. Because for some yeah, reason, nobody, nobody knew who ACDC was in America, really, until Highway to Hell. Yeah, I was oh, God. God. Yeah, yeah, let's go into, yeah. You know, 1979. Yeah. But 
I'll tell you more about that when we get closer to it. Yeah. Now, they had released a single with Bon Scott at that point called yeah. It's a Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. It's a great song. I mean, <laughs> that's a fantastic song. I think it's the first song to ever have, rock song to ever have bagpipes in it. Yeah. Okay? And uh, I heard that it was George Young's idea to do that, and Bon played the bagpipes. He knew how to play, so he could, he could do it. I thought I was I thought I was great. The yeah, sound it was I mean, like, it was like a different sound. Yeah, I mean nobody ever nobody ever thought of putting bagpipes <laughs> in a rock show. Yeah, nineteen seventy five. Yeah, you know. Now an ACDC was supposed to play the Sunbury Music Festival in Australia in nineteen seventy five. But they went to the show and, and the headliners Deep Purple were the ones, you know, headlining. Wow. They ended up having uh, like an altercation. <laughs> with them and their managers and they, they, didn't, they never played the fucking show but they had a, they had a fist fight with Deep Purple yeah that's what happened imagine that say you're gonna open up for Deep Purple and you're fucking wind up beating up Deep yeah, Purple and the problem is they probably would have opened up for, them, for uh, Deep Purple and they probably would have stored their energy. People would have probably wanted to hear that voice. Nobody wanted to hear Deep Purple. Yeah, fucking Deep Purple. Yeah, please. <laughs> now, between 74 and 77, they had regular appearances on Countdown, yeah. which was a TV show in Australia. It was a live music show. And uh, it got them a lot of popularity. Manager Michael Browning began sending at that point promo material to contacts he had in London. Now in 76, uh, he got a fight. But they also had another album in 77. TNT. 77, TNT. Right. I mean, 75. Well, right. They released TNT, and what was the name of the first one? High Voltage. High Voltage, excuse me. Which are two albums. Which is really like two albums. When they would be released later on in America, they were one out. Yeah. Okay, and they took mostly from TNT. Yeah. You know, but um, in '76 they signed yeah, to Atlantic Records. The original copy of the album, like you get them now, like the original. Yeah. Very rare. Oh, but you could get them. Yeah. Right? Not even like on CD. I remember. I, listen, I remember when Highway to Hell came out yeah. as a kid. I loved the song. It was and, a great and I was like. All right, who's this ACDC? And, and I remember going to the record store, seeing Highway to Hell, and they had the import section yeah. with the other albums. Okay, you know, but it was rare. It was it was expensive. It was it was hard to get. If you have them now, those Australian imports, it's got to be worth something. Wow. Yeah. Um, now they got signed to Atlantic. They had to go to London and get signed up, and they they would end up on a tour. When they when they signed up with X Free, the band Free, member Paul Kossoff's new band called Backstreet Crawlers. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Now the weird thing is, is that when they got there to sign, Paul Kossoff died. Excuse <coughs> me. He was on a a flight from I think L.A. to New York or yeah. New York to L.A. I think it was L.A. to New York. And he had a blood clot in his leg that spread to his lung, and it exploded and it killed him. Yeah, you know. 
Um, so he and they ended up doing some kind of like smaller shows while they were in England, you know, to kind of push themselves. Yeah, that was, I thought that was kind of crazy. It, it was man. crazy. I mean, Paul Kassoff was a big deal at yeah. that point. Because they were going to do all this big thing, and then out of nowhere, now they couldn't do the big thing, and they had to wait to get re-signed again, I guess. No, no, they got signed, but they had nowhere to, like, play. Play, all right. And then they ended up doing, like, smaller gigs in, in smaller places. Okay. There was a, uh, Atlantic Records put together something called the Lock of the Daughters Tour. Yeah. <laughs> what a name. Yeah, <laughs> And it was sponsored by Sounds Magazine. Yes. Now, what was happening... In, in, in 76, 77 at that point. I think. It was um, the punk, punk. punk scene. Okay. And you know what some people called ACDC punk they, rock? They, they weren't. Were punk no, rock. no, no. And they actually they hated got, they, it. No, they got lumped in with that a few times. They hated it. And they it. hated it. They hated it. Okay. But, but the, the thing is, is that they didn't identify with the punk bands at yeah. all. They felt punk was like a flash in the pan. Yeah. It wasn't going anywhere. But they, you know, in the in the in the looking back at it now, forty years later, they actually had a lot of com- a lot in common with those bands. Yeah, they did. Okay, and some of them they did get along with. Okay, yeah. but they didn't want to be called a punk band. That no. was the last thing they wanted to be called. But they weren't punk. punk no, band. they were definitely like a rock band. They were a rock band by every definition of the word. Yeah. But you know, because of their you know, the songs were kind of simple, you know, they, they didn't fit in exactly with what was going on in the rock scene at that point. Now, Sounds Magazine was a sponsor on that tour, and Sounds was about the only magazine that would even talk about any kind of classic rock band yeah. at that point. Everything was about punk. Punk, yeah. Because it was the punk revolution, man. You know, that's what was going on, on. yeah, yeah. Now, sometimes, like I say, the music press would, would, would put them in with that, but they, they hated it. Yeah, they hated but, it. They couldn't but, even, like, if you remember, they wouldn't even talk to you. No, they would, like, if you call us a punk band, we're walking out. Yeah. So, and Angus, at that point, he would, he would, you know, gain his notoriety on stage for Mooney. Yeah, he would okay. moons at And he still does that, every show. Every ACDC show... Angus will take his pants off and warn the audience. <laughs> For no reason at all. No reason at all. It's great. It's let fantastic. Me, let me just turn around here, you bitches. <laughs> Go fuck and, and you remember, he was wearing the schoolboy outfit yeah, at that point. Boy, you know, he still does that. He just... Yank, yank the shorts off and there you go. I think it's funny, man. It, it's hilarious. It's very funny. I mean, you, you, I've seen them at Master Square Garden a couple of times. And I, I, I saw them at Master Square Garden. Yeah. Like in, in one of the two, and i never forget, I'm outside Master Square Garden. My dad gave me something like, I think 25 bucks. I bought like a fucking ACDC t-shirt from some black dude that was saying probably $10 a boot egg. Yeah. It was a boot egg in the back yeah. of that. No, it was crooked. It was probably, you know what, it was, it was probably like $10. I got him down to five bucks. Yeah. And then I went to the show for 20 bucks. Yeah. It was fucking Can't fantastic, and it was like a what? good. It was like a good two and a half hour show. One one oh, thing about DC, I always loved it, is, is they never went crazy with the prices. No, they never. At least when I've seen them, I don't know. 
Now I haven't seen them in about twenty years, so I don't know. But they, they never, they never did that. You know? No, but they, you know, but you, you know what? You got to look at it. In '84, twenty dollars for the ticket price is still like a hefty. It was twenty dollars. Yeah, twenty dollars was a lot. Not, yeah, not many things cost twenty dollars. But they, you know, you're talking a two-hour show. Yeah, they, they always play it. You know, now, I must have been like twelve years old. Something they, they were like all these yeah. fucking lunatics. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Now, in April 76, Atlantic Records released tracks from the first two studio Australian albums. It was called High Voltage yep. and TNT. And TNT. Now, it was under one title. They used the title High Voltage. And it was, it was the, the critics killed it. They killed it. Yeah. They called it fucking retarded. Okay? <laughs> you know. I, I, you know I, love, yeah. I love retard rock. Yeah, you know, so there you go. Okay. Now, it was panned by Rolling Stone's main critic named Billy Altman. He said rock and roll has hit an all-time low. Okay, in the hard rock genre. These people would change their minds. Why do you think that? I thought that I thought those albums were pretty good. Those albums. They had some song in. I and think it, I think they just the, the, the simplicity of it. That's what it was. You know, it was too simple. It was, it was too simple that you know. You had this like kind of punk rock thing going on yeah. on the side, and and they were like kind of just different, you know. They didn't do like giant twenty minute long solos no. like everybody was interested. In, yeah, you know. So people were like, ah, you know, they're, they're, they're nothing. You know yeah, what I mean, they're nothing. I mean, how many songs? How many ACDC songs end up with like duh? Yeah, yeah, it's a bomb. It's fucking song. Yeah. It's fucking great. I love that. You know what I mean? Oh, ACDC, man. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. 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 Those guys, was, those guys were great. Yeah. yeah. Those songs. But nowadays, they stopped, actually, they started considering more hard rock and metal. Like just back in the, in the early yeah. 80s, when I first knew the other yeah. songs about it, they called ACDC was the same metal. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're talking about this podcast here. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. We're yeah. talking about ACDC yeah. right now. ACDC? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Angus is fucking, yeah. I don't know, man, the guy's like 65, he's still just yeah. schoolboy. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> 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 Honestly. Think, Honestly. About, think about these songs as big, on as the big first as, album. As big as the singer is, whatever his fucking name is, guys. Yeah. Now, Bon yeah. Scott's coming to my mind, but he's yeah. gonna die in like one time. The, 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 the first that's album, a band you got, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. You got rock and roll singer. Angus you got the, the Jack, <laughs> you got Live Wire, you got TNT, yeah. Can I Sit Next to You, Girl? Right? You mind if I lick your ear? Yeah. <laughs> Can I Sit Next to You, Girl? Okay. Little Lover, She's Got Balls, High Voltage. Okay, most of these tracks they used was from TNT, the Australian album. Now, at that point, they would come out with uh, another album called Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap in 1976. Yeah. That was a great fucking yeah, song. it was. It, I mean, the whole album is great. Yeah. Um, it was released only in Australia, and the uh, not in America, unfortunately, until 1981. Now, I got to tell you a little personal story. When Highway to Hell came out, 
and it was it was huge. That was the first album really released in the United States. Oh yeah, that was yeah. technically the first album. Yeah. And because it was so popular everywhere else, it kind of took over. Now, I remember being in a record store, looking at Highway to Hell, and being like, should I buy this album? Or should I spend a few dollars and get Dirty Deeds? Yeah, because they had in the import section right next to it. They had yeah. like, you know, and it was a different album cover. If you remember when Dirty yeah. Deeds got released in 81, yep. they had the blindfolds on their faces. Yeah. Okay, it was like in front of like a cheesy ass hotel. But the, the album cover then was like, I think it was Bon Scott's, you know, big Popeye arm like this <laughs> yeah. with, like, with like tattoos on it. And I bought it. I still have you it. You still got I it? I still got it. Yeah, it was a lot of money and for me, you know. How much was it? 20, 30 bucks maybe? Not that much. I think it was close to 20. Wow. I think it was close to 20. That still was a lot to pay for an album. It what was. What were like the more like mostly the album was probably like eleven dollars, like you know. Eleven, twelve dollars. Yeah, yeah. imports were more, you know. But but you were hearing like you were getting this buzz like wow, you know, there's this band and and, and they're kind of like from Australia, you know. Yeah. And, and you were like, fuck Australia, what the fuck is that place? You know what I mean? I mean it was in those days it was different, you know. Yeah. And now. What would happen with these albums, first few albums, is that there would be varied kind of album covers and varied kind of tracks. That not everything would be the same. You know, if it was in Australia, it didn't have the same tracks as in Germany. Yeah. You know, and so it was kind of complicated with ACDC at that point. But they did a tour uh, in '76 in Sweden and the UK, and it set record attendance. Yeah. For, like for the marquee in London and, and other places and they were really starting to pick up yeah. now in late 76 they recorded their fourth studio album which is probably one of their best called Let There Be Rock yep alright you had tracks like the title track yep Dog Eat Dog Whole Lot of Rosie yep which is about a full figured big ass yeah. girl yep okay now, in early 77, they ended up on tour with Black Sabbath. Yes. For a little while. Imagine that tour. Yeah. Just seeing those two, like, they're like high energy, high power fucking bands. And they just like, yeah. we're going to go out there, we're going to give you this raw fucking energy and fucking rock your fucking world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that, I mean, at that point, Sabbath was like starting to suck. Yeah. I would think ACDC probably fucking kicked their ass. I, I can see that. Okay. They also opened for Rainbow mm -hmm. that year too. Now, bass player Mark Evans. Yeah. Why were they so accepted so quickly? But the critics didn't accept them. They took the critics a few years. Not until Back and Black. Yeah. That was when really took them in, but they didn't take them in for a you while. Know, like, it's 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 interesting if you think about it. I think ACDC, in the minds of critics back then, yeah, fell into the genre of bands like Slade, Sweet, uh, punk bands, the Ramones, yeah, stuff like that. They kind of fell in that category of like these guys are not fucking talented. And, they were. <laughs> but they were. And they are. Yeah, I mean, it's like, 
and they would sing longer songs also. They weren't singing like one minute, two minute songs. They were doing like a good three, four, five minutes. No, ACDC were a good three, four minute songs. They weren't like punk songs that were two minutes. But but I think there was this kind of like idea that. Maybe because they were from Australia, they weren't taken as seriously. Yeah, probably. I, I, I don't know. But well, maybe that's where it was, Australia. Who the fuck are these assholes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, did we know anything about Australia before Crocodile Dundee? No. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that was filmed in his bar, by the way. How about Men at Work? That, yeah, that was about it. Men at Work was from Australia. We but that was like, eight, that was 82. Yeah, it was 82, yeah. so we didn't, yeah. no one of the except Nobody that. knew, you know, what the fuck Australia was what back the fuck in here. All, you know, all you knew was kangaroos, that was, that was and it. And the boomerang. Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> now, bass, uh, the bass player Mark Evans at that point during the Let There Be Rock would be fired and replaced by Cliff Williams, who would be with them for a long time. Yeah. Now... ACDC American radio exposure at that point was very slow, okay, to start. Now, there was a guy named Bill Bartlett out of Jacksonville, Florida, who actually was playing ACDC early on, um, but they basically wouldn't get much traction in America until they did a show in Austin, Texas, and they opened for a Canadian group named Moxie's. Uh, there was a live show of that that was played a lot in the United States. In 77, they opened for Ted Nugent. Yeah. They opened for Aerosmith. Yep. They opened for Kiss. They opened for Styx, UFO, Blue Oyster Cult, and they would share a bill several times with Cheap Trick. Okay? So they were starting to get big. Now, August of 77, you know where they would play? Where? CBGB's. CBGB. Imagine okay. that. Imagine ACDC at CBGB. It's incredible. Yeah. It was a last minute thing. They were doing some recording in New York City and uh, they they ended up on a bill with the Dead Boys and the Talking Heads. <laughs> How fucking weird is that? Okay. When you think of that, like, yeah. they're those grouping over each other. You know, it's like a very mixed gender. I don't know if she's watching, but I'm, I'm going to tell her story. There's a there's a girl named Deborah Farina that I've been friends with on Facebook for years and years. Yeah. And she always brought up a story out. And she's a big, like, rock fan. Yeah. She hated punk. Okay, but she was a rock fan. And she went to that show. Yeah. At CBGB's. And there was some punk rock people that gave her shit. And she punched him in the face. Oh, my God. <laughs> some punk guy, she punched right in the nose during oh the But, hey, listen. I mean, just to see Bon Scott on that stage at ACDs had to be freaking that incredible. Yeah. But right. think about where you were. Like, CBG was not a big place, you know? No. So to see that, like, band, like, band that you see a match. It's like any time you see somebody at CBG, they you saw a match with Craig Hardy. You're like, you fucking made it. Yeah. You know? That's, I mean, if you played CBs and you went to MSG, yeah. you made it. You made it, because that's it. That could tell you what kind of impact these motherfuckers had there. Yeah. Now, May 5th, 1978, they would release their fifth studio album called Powerage. Powerage is another good album, yeah, too. It's one of my favorites. Now, you had tracks on there called Rock and Roll Damnation, yeah. Riff Raff, Kicked in the Teeth. Yep. All right. And the Powerage tour was recorded... Um, 
as a live album called If You Want Blood, You Got It, which is one of my all-time favorite album covers because it's got a guitar through the stomach of, of Angus. Yeah. With blood hanging out. It's okay. fucking fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's like the guitar is through his yeah, guts. Yeah, it's fucking... Yeah. It, it, it's got okay. stabbed. Yeah. And that was released in November 78. You know what was interesting about these guys? They were... Um, how many brothers like that that were actually musicians playing that really got along? There's more story about brothers that didn't get along yeah. than the brothers that got along, you know what I'm saying? And these guys were like great musicians. They like really were like... You know, George, they, they had this camaraderie with their brothers. George, Malcolm, Angus. Yeah. You know, George did a lot of the production on yeah. all these early albums. And it, 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 they were close. Yeah, they were close. It's a good thing. You know? Yeah, it's a good. Who you think was like the leader of the of the band? Oh, was it the young guys that were running it, or was it uh, their brother? Who was really running like behind the scenes? Who was I, the... I I I believe it to be Malcolm. Malcolm, okay. Yeah, uh, Malcolm was very important in the band. He wrote a lot of the music. Okay, Angus did too. Angus did uh, too. Angus did too. But he was younger than Malcolm. Yeah, okay. Okay, so you kind of have that dichotomy right there. Okay. Now, in July of 79, they would come out with their sixth studio album called Highway to Hell. Yeah, that's a great album, too. They got away from the George Young production at that point. Yeah. And it was a guy named Mutt Lang. Uh, it reached number 17 in the U.S. charts. Yeah. All right, this was the album that broke it for them. Uh... I remember hearing this being like, holy oh, shit, this is fucking yeah, good. Yeah, it was really you know, good. That, but, that, that but, I mean, you like know, game changer. Yeah, and, and, you know, I didn't know much about them at that point. I used to read uh, Cream Magazine, Rock Scene, and, and ACDC would be in there. I didn't know much about their music. You couldn't find it. It was it was import only. Wow, Cream Magazine. Jesus Christ. That, that, that shit's not allowed anymore. Is Rolling Stone still around? Is that still a thing it is? Yeah. I don't, you know what, I don't go to the news. I don't even see it anymore. Nobody does. Nobody does. Right. But like I said, it would get to number 17 in the U.S. charts. It would have to be released in the United States. Oh, it was such a big yeah. hit. The, the title track, Highway to Hell, you had other songs, Girls Got Rhythm, Touch Too Much, Shot Down in Flames. It broke it open, basically, yeah. for them at that point. But... It would kind of be a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because in January 1980, they began working on their seventh album called Back in Black. Yeah. Now, we're coming on, you know, we just passed the 40th anniversary yeah. uh, uh, the death of Bon Scott. Yeah. Okay. Now, February 19th, 1980, Bon Scott was with a friend of his named Alistair Kinniar. Yeah. Okay. And they were partying, drinking, drugs, whatever was involved. And Bond passed out on the way home, back to Kenny R's place. Yeah. I think they were driving a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Okay. And Kenny R couldn't move him. He was. He actually left him. He left him. In the he, car. he left him sleeping in the car. Now he couldn't move him. He was too heavy. So the evening of February twentieth. Kenny uh, rushed Bon Scott to the hospital because he was barely alive. Yeah. Okay. And it turned out he was declared dead. He choked on his own vomit. 
Now, I had heard other things, too, that he had basically frozen the dead because he had so much alcohol in his system. I, heard, I, I don't heard, know if that's true. I also heard that it might have been just a hell when he was, too. And it was doing drugs well, that's, and stuff. That's, and another, that's another thing. I mean, I, you know, did Bon Scott... This would be good for the conspiracy show. Yeah. Okay. You know, did Bon Scott do heroin? According to a book that was no. written by Jesse Fink in 2017 called Bond the Lost Highway. He did. Yeah. Yeah, he did right. that. Yeah. And, you know, he may have died from a heroin overdose. Um, they, they, they called it basically a uh, uh, an alcohol poisoning. They called it yeah. death. But I don't know if, if, if they ever really looked into it more than that. Yeah, I think what happened was that they, they were Pretty much the, the, what they say that he died out of, that he drowned in his own vomit, which is alcohol. But he pretty much he he talked to them. Well, That's insane. you know, if he if he was a heroin abuser, maybe he maybe he wouldn't have been sick from it because he would have been used to it. Yeah. But the alcohol might have made him want to throw up. Yeah. And if the heroin was hitting him, he wouldn't have been able to get it out of him, and he would have choked up. No. On it. Um, that would be the end of Bon Scott. Okay. Now the band was so destroyed they were gonna break up at that point. Yeah. Alright. But Bon Scott's parents actually spoke to the young brothers. They told them to keep the band going. Keep the band going. This is what Bon would have wanted. Yeah. And I kinda of believe that. I, I, I think that they, that that Bon probably would have wanted that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now they now had to audition a lot of singers. Uh, one guy that they were looking at, believe it or not, was Naughty Holder, the singer of Slate. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, he would have been, I, I, I think he would have been a good addition to that band. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Slade was, was, was about to make a comeback at that yeah. point, so who knows. Now, they ended up settling on ex Jordy singer named Brian Johnson. And he was his son, him and Dan Scott were in a group together. Bon Scott, Bon Scott, they weren't in a group, but they, they, they knew each other, okay? Uh, he impressed them because when he went to audition, he did, he came out with a whole lot of Rosie. Yeah. Okay? And he did not push city limits from, from Ike and Tina Turner. Okay? So that was definitely cool to kind of do. Imagine that's your fucking audition, audition song. song. Yeah. <laughs> now, Bon Scott actually knew Brian Johnson. Yeah. But he, he told he, he, Yeah, he had told the band maybe a year or two earlier that he had caught Johnson's band called Jordy in England. And his vocals were similar to Little Richard. Yeah. And Little Richard was Bon Scott's like all-time idol. Yeah. And he impressed him. So, you know, Brian Johnson happened to just you know, appear on the scene after the death of Bon Scott. Yeah. So they were like, oh yeah, you're the guy that Bon told us about, yeah. you know. Now, April 1st, 1980, Brian Johnson would be officially uh, announced as the new singer of ACDC. Hey, you want to hear? How many bands survived two weeks in there? And this guy sounded just great. Yeah. Brian Scott was almost like, 
like a like a like Bon Scott, you know, he was he was he fitted you know, in there. I, you know, some people say that. I, I kind of feel that he doesn't sound like Bon Scott because they wanted to have a singer that was different. Yes. They didn't want to have a guy that was going to just sound like Bon Scott and continue. Oh no, but he got that similar, like that high power kind energy. Of, like, kind of. still the energy. They didn't lose any energy. It was just a little different. There, yeah. was, a little, there was a little twist on it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that was the idea. I think that they really didn't want a Bon Scott clone. They yeah. weren't going to find anybody like him. They just wanted a guy that could fit in with the group. Right, right. Here's a big question I want to ask you. Um, did he get to finish the, the Back in Black album? They had started recording and writing back in black when Bond was alive. Yeah. Okay, but by the time it came to recording, they were down in the Bahamas. They did some recording in New York City. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, songs like Hell's Bells, You Shook Me All yeah. Night Long. Uh, you know, Back in Black, Rock and Roll, black, and Noise yeah. Pollution. Okay. And it ended up being their best selling album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was all written after Bond died. There's okay. no. Some people think there's a Bond Scott album with with Back in Black. Nah, it, not. it doesn't exist. Okay. Okay. So they yeah. ended up sending selling 50 million copies with Back in Black. And this was all sang by um, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Wow. Yeah. You know what's so funny? When you heard, if you heard Highway to Hell, then you heard Back in Back in Black. You know what? It was. Same fucking interest, the same energy. Even yeah. though he didn't sound it, but I, it's just—it was loud. I gotta tell you a funny story. Strong, you know, when I was listening to Highway to Hell, yeah, had it on cassette, okay. And I remember sitting in a uh, sitting in a park with a cassette, yeah, listening to that. And I was with this girl. I must have been twelve years old, and and she says to me. Turn this off and play some ACDC. Because <laughs> she, did, oh she didn't know back. She didn't know anything before Back in Black. Back in Black. Yeah. Wow. You know? That's pretty funny, yeah. man. Yeah. Now, Back in Black. What can I say? Okay. Uh, it, it got to number four in the United States. Number one in the UK. Was that the highest ranking they ever got in yes. the US? Yes. They would spend 131 weeks in the Billboard Top 200. And that's fucking good. All right. I mean, it was one of the biggest rock albums of all time. Yeah. Um, 50 million copies. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, in November of 81, they would come out with, for those about to rock, We Salute yeah. You. That got to number 13 with that title track with the cannons yeah. and everything. In 83, they would they would kind of come out with something different. Yeah. It was the self-produced album called Flickin' a Switch. And you had tracks like Nervous Breakdown, Flickin' a Switch. It was considered not a good album. I didn't think that was a good album at all. You know what? I like the title track, but... Oh, yeah, yeah that's it. But yeah. it, it was like... It got to number four, though, in the UK. Which is funny. Yeah. Now, Phil Rudd, the drummer, and Malcolm would actually have a physical fight during the recording of this album. Wow. All right. Now, there was a lot of drug and alcohol problems going on, and it ended up with Phil Rudd being fired. Now, they ended up getting former Pro Cool Harem drummer B.J. Wilson to finish the album. Yeah. All right. 
Dude, why did they have, um, like, they had, like, little trouble. They had certain bammer that they, after a while, they just couldn't deal with them no more. And they just got rid of them, you know that? Phil Rudd would come back several times. Yeah, yeah. but they had guys, yeah, and understand, they would have guys that they get rid of, and then the guys wind up coming come back. back. And years later, it's like... Because they were good. They, yeah, knew that, yeah. they knew they had to have them back. Simon Wright would replace Phil Rudd officially after something like 700 auditions yeah. that they did. And they would come out with their 10th studio album called Fly on the Wall. It was produced by Angus and Malcolm and yeah. released in 1985. There was a song called Danger, Sink the Pink, Shake Your Foundations, yep. June of 85. Yep. I actually like this album. This album was not okay. a bad album. It's not bad. Shake Your Foundations and Sink the Pink. I remember going to see the Ramones at the Ritz one time. And Joey Ramone was wearing a fly on the wall fucking album. <laughs> sure. Okay. With the with the purple fucking fly on yeah. it and everything, you know? Fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, they would come out with like a long form music video at that point that had five songs on it. They were starting to get MTV radio yeah. airplay. I remember them on MTV yeah. a few times. In eighty six, uh, Stephen King would, would throw in with them. And they came out with Who Made Who for the soundtrack of Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, that was okay. great. That was a great, great movie. movie. Stephen King flick, the trucks taking over. The trucks taking it over. It was fantastic. Yeah. Now, do you remember what Stephen King said his two favorite bands were? Ramones and uh, ACDC. Yep, you know that. Yep. In January of 88, they would come out with Blow Up Your Video. And that would be a song on there called Heat Seeker. Yeah, Heat Seeker. And that would be a bit, that's the one where, where, where Angus is riding the missile. Yeah. You remember that video? Okay. It was produced by George Young and Harry Vander. It got to number two in the UK and number 12 in the United States. Uh, I saw them. That was the first time I got to see them on oh, that yeah? tour. Yep. Now, Malcolm was not on the US leg of that tour. Yeah. Okay, he had developed a bad alcohol problem. Yeah. Okay, and they ended up with his brother, I mean, his nephew, Stevie. Yeah. Young. Okay, now after Europe, he did take that leave with, with, with England. He With uh, the United States, he did not play. But Sam Wright left the group on drums at that point to join up with Dio. Yeah. So they didn't have a drummer anymore. They changed the lineup again. Again. You know what's now, funny? Like, if you think about it now, Steve Lee, Steve Lee Young is the one right now playing with the group where well, Angus. Malcolm, Malcolm yeah. passed away. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I mean, think about that. They replaced him then, so he's already yeah. becoming part of the, you know, the ACDC legacy, you know? He's Malcolm's nephew. Yeah. I mean, definitely. September of 1990, they would come out with the Razor's Edge album. I thought this, that was a good album. I thought it was a great album. Their 11th studio album it was a big comeback for them. Yep. They would come out with Thunderstruck, Thunderstruck Money Talks. Money. Uh, they sold 5 million copies and it went to number two yep. in the United States. They had Chris Slade on drums, right, because Phil Rudd had left. Yeah. And they, it was produced by uh, Bruce Fairbairn. And they would come out with a live album in 92 from that tour just called Live. Yeah. And it's it, it's a fantastic fucking live it is record. It's a great album. Yeah. Now, I saw them on that tour as well. I didn't see that. Yeah, I wish yeah I did. at Madison Square Garden. Now, in January of 1991, they played a show in Salt Lake City where three fans were crushed to death. And basically, they were rushing the stage. 
And ACDC got sued. I know. For, yeah. For a few million yeah. dollars. And man. they settled with the family out of court. Yeah. With their families. Now, Phil Rudd would uh, would replace Chris Slade again in 1995 when they came out with the September release of Ball Breaker. There was an album called Ball Breaker in 95 that they would put out with a song called Hard as a Rock. That was the single. I remember that. Good song. Very good song. Very good song. You know what's wrong? They also one of the few bands that a lot of the songs, the title of the album was a song. Yeah. Because a lot of musicians used to do that. They don't do that as much as they used to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's true. Like, yeah. You, you will have a song, this is a song, and then there'll be a song about it. And that was very different. Like, they'll have a title, but it's, it's not even one Might of the have songs. Something yeah, with the songs. to do with yeah. the song. Yeah. In, in 1997, uh, there would be a Bonfire box set release. Yes. All right. Now, it was four CDs, and they were, you know, remembering Bon Scott. They did some outtakes from Back in Black. Uh, they had a remix of Back in Black. Yep. And there were, like, two live albums thrown in there with Let There Be Rock the Movie, a DVD. And it was, uh, re you know, that was recorded from December 7th, 1979. At the Pavilion de Paris. The Pavilion de Paris. In 2000, they came out with the 14th studio album called Stiff Upper Lip. It was Stiff produced again by George Young. It got to number 90, number seven in the U.S. The, the title track was a great fucking song. Yeah. All right, and they actually ended up on Saturday Night Live in March of 2000. I remember seeing they that. Record, they they, they sounded like blues. Yeah. Yeah. It's safe in New York City. Safe, yeah. yeah. I saw them on that tour twice. Yep, that, okay. that was a good, uh, that it, was it, a good sign. The beginning of the tour, the they, yeah. The beginning of the tour, they ended up at Madison Square Garden. At the end of the tour, they ended up at Madison Square Garden. That's I got a fantastic to tour. Yeah. 2003, what would happen? They would get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And in July of 2003, they played with the Stones and Rush. Molson Canadian Rocks for Toronto. I'm not Nobody that. went there for Rush. <laughs> Rush. Okay. Now, it was a charity for the SARS epidemic yeah. that was going on in Toronto. Yeah. It was getting a bad name, so these bands got together to help yeah. Toronto oh, wow. and Rush. Okay. So, 2007, I'm not even going to say nothing. 2007. There was a DVD set called Plug Me In. And uh, in 2008, there was a set called The Family Jewels. The Family Jewels, DVD yeah. rarities on both of us. Right there. August yeah. of 2008, Columbia Records would release, because they got off of yeah. Atlantic. Columbia yeah. Records would release their 15th album called Black Ice. Black Ice. 15 tracks sold exclusively at fucking Walmart. Yeah. All right. I didn't like this. No. I went like, oh, no, come on. Okay. Terrible. But 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 you know what? It's not a bad album. No, Heard it's it. not a bad album. Yeah. They had a song called Rock and Roll Train. And, and actually being released by Walmart, it ended up at number one. Yeah. Because you know that we fucking hillbilly fucking, right yeah. I was like, yeah. Fat fucking chick with the plumber's crack going down fucking Walmart aisles. You know? Most of the fans that bought it were Rush fans. Oh, 
Uh, I'm trying to be nice here. Rush just lost a man. Alright, so I'm trying to be nice. Fuck him! <laughs> I have, I have a, a dance gods a Rush fan. I got a lot of fucking friends that are Dance gods out of his body. He got roughed up last week. He hang out with a big boy. He was roughed up. He, he was hanging up. out with a yeah, mayor and true. fucking rocket mic. He was, he was so loved, loved up, up, I think he missed his up. train stop. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He slept all the way to Babylon and had to make his way back to Amityville. Loved up. Alright? Sorry for outing you, man. I love you, please. Okay. We'll, now, do a, we'll, we'll do an episode, Rush, where we do the shittiest rock and roll band. I mean, the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, the album would debut at number one. It would go multi-platinum, and they would go on an 18 month world tour. They did a lot of tours. They were going on long tours. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. holy shit, man. Now, in September 2008, they got their own channel on Sirius. Yep. And in October of 2008, the support of the Black Eyes tour, they ended up... I remember this. They, they, they were releasing the album, and they would come out with these trucks. And they were blasting ACDC all over the city. They, they did it in New York and yeah. LA. Yeah. Okay? And the, the Virgin Record Store in Times Square yeah. had, you know, all the albums. That was, uh, that record store was phenomenal. It was great. I, I used to love it. You know, the problem was, it always was packed. It was just people listening to the whole album. And, but you, you could pretty much go in there, put headphones, and listen to the yeah. whole album. You could listen to it. It was right. crazy. Now, the Black Eyes tour, uh, they ended up performing in front of over 5 million people yeah. over 20 months. It came to an end June 28, 2010 in Spain. And they released a couple of live DVDs and uh, they finally released ACDC movie Let There Be Rock that was recorded in 1980 yep. as an actual DVD that you can get. Yeah. It's a great movie. Everybody should see it. Bon Scott, there you go. 2011, 2012. There were rumors of a new album, all right? Uh, but Malcolm said it's going to take some time. Yeah. And because Brian's too slow. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Johnson's too slow in recording shit. All right. In November 2012, they came out with the Live at River Plate album. Yeah. And it was their first album that was live in 20 years. It did very well. 2014, you started hearing about Malcolm's bad health. Yeah. Okay, you were hearing things that he didn't. He was had Alzheimer's, dementia, yeah. something like that. By July of 2014, it was announced that Stevie Young, Malcolm's nephew, would replace Malcolm. Yep. Okay, and uh, he was recording on a new album that they were putting yeah. out. But September 2014, it was officially released that Malcolm was out of the band. Yeah, he was out of the band. It's a sad thing. Yeah. I always liked Malcolm. I, I, I was, you know, respected his input in ACDC. Well, he couldn't go on. He was pretty much uh, He was shot. He was shot. Now, November 28, 2014, uh, they came out with an album called Rock or Bust. And it was the first one without Malcolm. Yeah. All right. They did a world tour. There was a song called Play Ball. Uh, was that some baseball? Like the, like one of the didn't they World Series play in or something like that? But you know what? I, I hate to say this, I really didn't care for the album. No, I didn't either. I, mean, I, I didn't either. I, I was kind of tuning out. Yeah. Me, I thought it sucked. 
That's just my. That's just me being rude. I just didn't even. No, I get it. I, I mean, mean, you it know, they like, didn't put like, they, yeah. they didn't put a lot into it. And I think it the was, band was still recovering from fucking Malcolm fucking Badger away and all well, this. Well, he shit. wasn't dead at that point. But he was already sick. You know, they were recovering. Yeah. They were probably depressed and all fucked up. And but what was interesting? It was eleven tracks, and it was only thirty-five minutes. Yeah. That's like a Ramones yeah, like, okay, Sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, November 6th, Phil Rudd of that year, 2014, yeah. would be charged with attempting to procure a murder and threatening <laughs> to kill somebody. And he had possessions of methamphetamine speed, yeah. okay, and marijuana. Yeah. Right? So he was fucking up. He was, he right? was definitely Now, the murder charge would eventually be dropped. Uh, but the rest of the charges would remain, and he would be placed on the house arrest. Yeah. Could not do a tour, no. so Chris Slade rejoined the band. In April 2015, Rudd pleaded guilty to the drug charges, and basically, uh, you know, accepted eight months of, of house arrest. Now they went. Chris Slade went on the world tour for Rock and Buster. Yeah. Boy, in March of 2016. The tour was cut short, and that was because Brian Johnson had severe hearing loss. And, you know, until he announced what it was, we didn't know what it was, but it basically, uh, he went to somebody and they said, listen, if you play another show, you're fucking deaf. You're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he says he didn't have his hearing loss based on that. He said he had his hearing loss based on the fact that he was a, a, a fucking race car driver. Race car driver. Yeah. He had a hobby with race car driving, and it was the sound of the motors. Yeah. I don't well, know. Pretty much the current members right now is Angus Young, yeah. Chris Slate, Stevie Young, and Axel Rose. Actually, he's saying well, what would happen is... This guy's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back, because in February 2016, uh, in Kansas City Sprint Center, Brian Johnson would do his show. But Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses would kind of like take on the vocals yeah. for the remainder of the tour. Uh, I've I've known people that have seen that and said it sucked. Yeah. Okay, I except for that. like one or two songs that Axl yeah. did, like "Shoot for Thrills" was a song that yeah. Axl did really good. But I can't see Axl <laughs> no, doing that. I just can't see him. He's no, that no. voice. I, I can't no. see it working for ACDC. But um, in July of 2016, Cliff Williams would also announce that he was leaving the band, the bass yep. player. And since 2019, there's rumors of a new album. Uh, Phil Rudd and Cliff Williams are also rumored to come back. Wow. Okay. But uh, we don't know. Yeah. I, I, I heard that something's coming up this year. That's where we are right now with ACDC. It's a big, wow. big question mark, people. Wow, that's amazing. Man, yeah. that was a fucking... A lot of fucking information, man. We did a lot yeah. of... Wow. Now, I, I have show. to mention, you know, you, you know, what's my favorite album from ACDC? Which now, one is? What is your favorite album? Anything that Bon Scott did. Okay. Let There Be Rock, probably. Okay. I like. I love. I love. I, I love Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell is For classic. Me is one, one yeah. Of my favorite now, my favorite Brian Johnson album, obviously Back in Black. Yeah. Okay. But I also like uh, 
fly on the wall. And a lot of people don't like that album, but I, I like it. There's something about that album. It's, it, 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 I don't know. I just like the songs on there. And Razor's Edge with Thunderstruck. Yeah, I love Razor's Edge. And Stiff Upper Lip. I like that album. Yeah. Safe in New York City. It's a great yeah. fucking song. It is a good song. You know? And, you know, I hope that they can come back this year, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, Brian Johnson hopefully his hearing is okay. That's all I can say. If they pray to God and I'll get my bookmarks up the next see. Also, I know I, I might be able to get us to those uh, April April gig. You wanted to see um, somebody in West Hall? I'm going to talk to my guy. Lunatrix. Yeah, Lunatrix. Yeah, the Lunatrix are playing soon at Webster Hall. Yeah, and they go. I'm, I'm going to talk to my boys that work there and see if we can get us in. All right? We got it. So, buddy, remember, don't get drunk. Get, get loved up. up. Have a good one. ACDC forever. Yes, sir.